It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Nation podcast, HawkeyeNation.com. Andrew Downs here with you on a Tuesday and a big Tuesday as we've got the Iowa Hawkeyes, the number three ranked team in the country, five and zero favorites to win the Big Ten West. Um, and we'll see this weekend if uh, if they're going to be favorites to uh, give whoever comes out of the East a, a heck of a game in Indianapolis in early December. This is a big, big spot for the Hawkeyes. Obviously, uh, the Fox pregame show will be there. It's a Three o'clock kickoff at Kinnick Stadium. The number three Hawkeyes, the number four Nittany Lions. This is the first top five game at Kinnick Stadium uh, for the Hawkeyes since 1985 when Iowa beat Michigan, number one versus number two. We all remember that game or, or know about that game. I shouldn't say remember. I don't remember it. I was two years old when it happened, but I've read the books and watched the movies and, you know, listen to the Zobble calls and all of that kind of stuff. I may bring some of that back at some point here. I've got a, uh, one of my favorite things at, at working at the radio station. When I first got here, I was just kind of combing through some files and I found a file labeled Zobble. And I was like, well, I, I have to, I have to go into there. And it's got all these great old clips that, that uh, Z had kept. And of course, a few of those clips are from the, uh, the 85 game and, and the win, the Rob Houtland kick to beat Michigan. But, I think this is like the sixth top five matchup in Iowa history. The first since the 2015 Big Ten Championship game that, uh, you know, just heartbreaking, gut wrenching loss to Michigan State. Sent Iowa to the Rose Bowl, sent Michigan, Day, Michigan State into the college football playoff. And I think this is the biggest Hawkeye game since that game. Now, of course, uh, as these seasons, as, as happens in these seasons, uh, if Iowa gets through Penn State here, now each game then becomes even bigger, right? And probably not the biggest game in Iowa history, but uh, that Purdue game, the trip to Madison, uh, the game against Nebraska, all of these games, Minnesota, I mean, none of these games are, are short things. None of these games are, are easy. And so uh, things are just going to continue to get amped up here. I do want to get a bit of a historical perspective on this game and what it means and, and on this team as a whole. And to do that, there's nobody, literally nobody better to talk to than Rick Brown. And happy to bring on a guy who's covered the Hawkeyes for a very long time. You know him from his work at the Des Moines Register. We are so happy and proud to have him working for Hawkeye Nation right now, doing some great historical pieces, also just covering the teams uh, as well as he always has. It's Rick Brown. Rick, thanks for the time. 
Absolutely, Andrew. How are you? Man? I'm I'm doing well. I'm doing well, and I'm I'm having fun, man. This is uh this is one of those fun seasons, at least so far, you know, where it's like each week feels bigger and bigger, and uh, it feels like there there's some momentum going with this football team. Uh, you, through five games now, we've we've seen this, and certainly on Friday night, I think this team answered a lot of questions. But w- what have you seen from this Hawkeye team to make you believe that they can have one of these special seasons? They can maybe even win like a Big Ten championship. Well, I think it goes, well, it goes on the football field, but it goes beyond X's and O's. I just think the camaraderie on this team is uh, off the charts. And I don't know for sure how that happened, whether it's a, re- is a result of, uh, you know, the, the racial issues that came up in the program, but it sure bonded this team together. Uh, you can tell they love playing with each other. Uh, they have a keen ear toward their coaches and what they can do to improve. And they're, you know, it's a cliche, but there's, you know, 11 guys playing as one on both sides of the ball. And that, to me, is one of the real uh, strengths of this team right now. You know, you talk about that, and that that makes me think of, especially defensively, and I'm sure it happens offensively too, but we've focused so much on the defense, and, you know, we see the way they react to interceptions, and there isn't, like, a star on this defense. Now, now there probably is. You know, Jack Campbell, uh, Justin Jacobs, there are guys who will be stars or, or, you know, can certainly play that role, but... More so than like the even like the 2015 team, this feels like it, it really is all 11 defenders uh, playing as one, and, and the sum is greater than you know the individual parts. Right, and just just watch it's if you go to a game, just watch the the sidelines and the interaction of the players, and it's not just offense and offense and defense, defense. It's offense going across the two defensive guys and vice versa for big plays. They come off the field, they get mobbed by their teammates. And guys who aren't even playing, and probably I'm sure wish they were playing, but but they're rooting on their guys, so it's it's really a, a neat thing to see. Yeah, and I think you know the, we all see Spencer Petrus on on the field and kind of what he does when he's out there as the quarterback. I think one of the things that Kirk Ferentz has hinted at several times, the the coaching staff has hinted at, and maybe one of these intangible things that we on the outside don't get to see is his leadership role on that team and kind of this understanding that uh, he may have some limitations as a player, although obviously he's answering some of those questions lately. Uh, but I think what what we don't see in his leadership role is maybe the most important factor as to why Kirk Ferentz and this coaching staff really believes in him. I think, I think you hit the nail on the head there. He, uh, the guys look up to him and, uh, you can, you can see that and, you know, he'll, he'll overthrow someone or something will happen and he'll look, he'll pound, you know, point his finger to himself and, uh, you don't see anybody in the huddle kind of looking the other way. They're all, you know, patting him on the back. Let's go. Let's get the next play. So, yeah, I, I think the guys really respect him, and I and I think the coaches do respect him for that aspect. Plus, they 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 like him for his skills too. I think we saw, you know, in the Maryland game that he took a big step forward in my book, and a lot of it has to do with play calling because Brian Ferentz looks like in that game, you know, he used the pass to set up the run, which is kind of interesting. But they're going to different guys. It's kind of fun to watch happen. It, it really is. And, you know, you talk about some of the different guys in the last couple of games. We've seen some of these, you know, true freshmen getting in on, on the game plan in, in a big way in the passing game with Keegan Johnson and Arlen Bruce. Uh, but also, you know, on the offensive line, we've seen a lot of younger guys uh, play a, a big role in this team. And, and that's been interesting in the Ferentz era as well. I mean, what, what does it say about these guys and maybe the, the transition of this program that some of these young guys are, are getting big minutes and big times? 
Yeah, you know, everyone talks about New Kirk. Um, that is that is high on the list of New Kirk things because he used to never want to play true freshman. He thought they needed a year to get in the weight room and didn't think they were ready. But he's changed that. And one of the reasons he's changed that, Andrew, is I think recruiting has really taken an uptick in this program. Um, they're, they're obviously still identifying players, and a lot of the players that people don't think are that good, but they see something in them. But then they're also getting players that, you know, other people want, and they're getting, you know, getting Keegan Johnson on Nebraska is huge. Arnold Bruce, I know there's a lot of guys, a lot of schools after him. And as we look forward to to like Saturday, they're going to have 80 recruits there and, and a lot of top-notch guys. In other words, they're getting players in the program maybe, maybe a step ahead of where they got before who are ready to play. You know, geez, you look in the offensive line, you got two, you know, Connor Colby's in there playing, and you're out of high school. Arlen Bruce mentioned Keegan Johnson. I mean, it, it just tells me that this they've got it kind of rolling right now. All right, so there, there's there's a lot of good for sure, but it's not all good. It's not all sunshine and roses, right, Rick? Uh, what what have you seen so far this season that maybe gives you some pause, or maybe you know has you pumped the brakes on you know this team being a a legitimate uh, Big Ten championship or even you know college football playoff type contender? Well, the way the Big Ten West shapes up now, I think is Iowa's title to lose, but um, I want to see the offense with their backs against the wall, drive down the field and score where they have to. That, that to me is, Beathard had that ability in 2015. Um, Nate Stanley had that ability, even though he didn't get credit for it. You know, I always used to say, uh, you know, you'll, you'll hear when he's gone, oh, I wish we had Nate Stanley at quarterback. <laughs> but, uh, I, I, and I think Petrus has that in him. I think if the offensive line gets, you know, on the same page on every play, everyone execute executes their ability that they'll be able to do this. But I just, you know, they've had a lot of success on turnovers and points after turnovers, which obviously helps short fields or whatever. I want to see that team take the ball 80 yards when, when they're down three late in the game. That'll, t- that'll tell me a lot about this. Team. Rick, uh, rarefied air here, five and zero. Oh. Number three in the country halfway through the season. I mean, you know, rankings and Kirk will say this, and the players will say this. You know, rankings don't mean a whole lot in October, but uh, we as fans know that this is something to be excited about, and and something that not a lot of uh, teams in the Ferentz era have have seen. Uh, wh- where does this team kind of stack up at least this at through this point? Uh, against some of Ferentz's better teams, you know, you're talking 2002, 2009, 2015. Do you think this team, uh, talent-wise and scheme-wise and, and all of that, is is on a level with those kind of best of the Ferentz era teams? I think defensively they are, Andrew. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, offensively, they're not quite there in my book. Uh, Tyler Goodson is a terrific back, and we've mentioned some of the other uh, other younger guys. They've got they've got good receivers. They've got a terrific punter with field sets up field position. Charlie Jones is, is the great kind of wild card that could take this team to another level. Uh, but if this, if this offense continues to mature and develop, like looks like it's going to, then I think you can put this team on, on the same page as, as 02 and 09 and 15. Um, I think it's still a, still work, work in progress. 
There's still there's still room up there on the the Mount Rushmore of Ferentz teams though for these guys if uh, if they can put this all together and certainly a win on Saturday would uh, would be a big step in that direction. Uh, Saturday is being called Rick the the biggest game uh, at Kinnick Stadium since 1985. One versus two against Michigan. Obviously, we all know what happened in that game and and have heard stories about it. Uh, where were you when when that was going on and kind of what do you remember about that game and maybe the the week leading up to that game against Michigan back in uh, '85? Five. Well, it's one of those. Uh, is this? Is this? Can this really be happening? Is this really an Iowa football moment? You know, one versus two. Because uh, you're talking to someone who lived through those uh, 19 consecutive non-playing seasons. Um, so it was a whole new, whole new place for the program. Uh, I just remember the anticipation for that game. You never thought it would get to Saturday. Dragging on, dragging on. Um, I was at that game. It was crazy. I was assigned to cover the Michigan locker room after the game, but there weren't any seats in the press box. So I sat in the stands in the rain. Um, but I remember I went down on the field with a couple minutes to go as that last drive was moving toward the end zone. And uh, when Rob Holland kicked that field goal, I was standing over by the Michigan locker room. And and the, uh, the euphoria of that kick that ball going through the uprights felt like he got lifted off the field at Kinnick. It was, it was the craziest thing. It was just a moment I'll never forget because just, it was every, everyone just, you know, that elation, that joy, that relief that it was over all in one. It was, it was quite a moment and Shambucker running by chewing his gum, heading to the locker room and some guy yells, you better watch out. He's not going to be too happy. <laughs> but those are those are my memories, and just of course I've watched the game several times since that. That last drive is is an absolute thing of beauty, but it all goes back to the biggest play in the game. In my book, was the uh, third and three play. Michigan's trying to run out the clock, and Larry Station nails Jamie Morris for a three yard loss, and uh, got Iowa the ball back. Those those are the things I remember most. What was it like then? Then after the game, maybe in the immediate aftermath, but also like the the week or you know few weeks after that, when Iowa had had kind of proven it. You know, we 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 as fans hope that Iowa can prove itself this weekend. And and there's been a lot of national media attention on Iowa this week, but that's going to amp up even more if they get through this Penn State game. What was it like in the aftermath of that game and kind of the the realization that hey, maybe Iowa deserves and has earned this number one rank, ranking. Well, there were, unlike now, there really, really wasn't a lot of second-guessing about why I was ranked that high. Uh, you looked ahead, and they still had a game at Ohio State, which ultimately cost them that number one ranking. They played in the rain and lost. I think it was 22-13, something like that. Um, it's unlike now, where this is so like 2015. Everyone's poor-mouthing them about the West is no good, or Iowa's not that good, or they don't deserve it. And all, all that 2012, all that 2015 team did was keep winning. They they didn't care what anybody else said. They they went to, from game to game. Next one's a big game, and got to take care of it. And I kind of sense that this team is the same way. The attention is even more amped up though than it was in 2015 in my, in my book. Because um, I just think people are people are taking a wait and see, and they thought a lot of people thought on oh, there they're going to lose to Maryland, and then we don't have to follow this scenario. Well, they didn't lose at Maryland. They, they crushed Maryland. So now Penn State's the next biggest one. And 
you're right. If they, if they win this game, I think a lot of the doubters will start saying, you know, Iowa, Iowa, Iowa could give Ohio State a battle in the Big Ten Championship game or whoever it is, Michigan. I shouldn't say that because Michigan is looking pretty good. Um, so I, I, I think this is a big game from, from a national aspect as far as credibility. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things. It frustrates me a little bit, Rick, that, you know, it's like Indiana and Iowa State, for instance. You know, th- those were big games when they happened. Now, it, it's not Iowa's fault that Indiana and Iowa State haven't quite lived up to their own expectations. And part of it is Iowa's fault because they put a loss on their record. They hurt the confidence of those quarterbacks, things like that. Uh, I, I feel like those things have to be factored in when you talk about the strength of schedule or the strength of a team. It's easy to now look at Iowa's schedule and say, well, you know, those first two games weren't quite what they thought they were. And I feel like this may happen with Maryland, too, where how we all felt on Friday afternoon, understanding kind of what a big challenge that Maryland game was compared to how we felt Saturday morning seeing Iowa kind of blow them out of the water and we'll see what Maryland does here to regroup but it, let's say they don't really recuperate from that very well that win is ultimately not going to look great although at the time it, it was a big game so that that frustrates me this kind of moving of the uh, the goalposts throughout the season yeah. based on you know what happens with other teams that's a great way to put it the moving of the goalposts I like that I really like that um yeah you're right uh in the end and Michael Penix a quarterback is just not who they thought he was going to be, and now he's hurt again. It's unfortunate. But you look at Indiana, who they've lost to, just look at who they've lost to and where those teams are ranked and what they have waiting for them. I mean, they have arguably the, the toughest schedule in America. So, And plus, it's all new to them. You know, that, that was one thing I know that graded on, on some Iowa people with that first game in Indiana. Oh, they were, the, they were the new flavor at the ice cream store and playing old vanilla Iowa. Who cares about them? Well, Iowa took care of them. And, and Iowa State, Iowa had a terrific defensive game plan. Phil Parker, I think, won that game. He had Matt, he has Purdy figured out, Brock Purdy, and uh, he, he he knows how to beat him. Um, so you should get credit for that. You shouldn't be, a, oh, well, they're no good. I, I, I think Iowa State is pretty good. And I think Indiana, if they get their offensive issues figured out, will be pretty good. So. It, yeah, you're right. It is kind of fun to put those, you know, new and upcoming programs and you know schemes and uh, all the kind of cockiness uh, to kind of put them in their place. Yeah, as you said, vanilla old Iowa just kind of you know marching forward, doing doing what Iowa does. Last thing for you here, Rick. Uh, Bob Stoops is going to be in town with the uh, the Fox pregame show. Uh, it's it's been fun, especially since he's retired from coaching, to kind of see him embrace his Iowa fandom a little bit. What what was Bob Stoops like uh, as a player and as a young? coach with the Hawkeyes I'll tell you what he was as a young coach he was like he was as a player he came at you uh, full speed he was he was not big in stash but man that guy could hit from the secondary he could he could lay the wood on you boy he uh, and I know that they consider this that as a player they considered him a coach on the field which ironically he became a great coach but uh, he just had that uh he had that thirst, that desire, that hunger to learn more and more about the game and figure out ways to win. Even when you didn't think you could win, he, he wanted to figure out how you could win. And uh, he, yeah, he's embraced this. I would think it's kind of funny because he's on there with uh, Reggie Bush and Matt Leiner, who when I remember when Iowa destroyed him in the Holiday Bowl, <laughs> they were whining and crying about the coach has got to go and this is Iowa that's doing this to him and. 
and I think Snoopsy's just back there kind of kind of egging them on, yanking their chain a little bit. It, it's it's good to see him on there and good to see him happy. He's he's uh, he's first class guy. It'll be fun to see him in Iowa City for uh, this big game on Saturday. Rick, thank you so much for the time. As always, we'll continue to follow your work uh, at Hawkeye Nation and elsewhere, and uh, and thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Nice talking to you. Man, I could talk to Rick Brown about Hawkeye history all day long, and uh, maybe someday in the offseason uh, I'll bring him in and uh, and we can do that. Uh, man, again, what a huge game. I don't need to keep saying it. Uh, it's it's obvious this is a, a big, big spot for the Hawkeyes. We're going to have it covered in all aspects uh, here at HawkeyeNation.com. I will talk with a Penn State writer tomorrow for my Opposition Research podcast. Trent Condon and I will be back on Thursday for the Hawkeye Nation radio show. Trent will be recording his Degenerate Hawkeyes podcast with his boy Biz. That's one of my favorite new podcasts that I've found. You know, I don't know about you guys. But when Iowa gets into a season like this, I just I can't get enough Hawkeye content, and so I'm finding new Hawkeye podcasts. I will uh, I'll spend some time this week and try to find some Penn State podcasts to kind of hear what they're saying about Iowa. Uh, I I just I eat this stuff up at this time. So if you haven't tried out the Degenerate Hawkeyes podcast, if you haven't tried out some of the stuff we're doing here on HawkeyeNation.com, I highly recommend you uh, do give those a try. Let me know what you think. I always appreciate your feedback. You can find me on Twitter at Andrew C. Downs. And uh, thank you for listening. Go Hawks!